Hey, what is up? Happy Friday, everybody, and uh, hopefully y'all had a great week and are getting ready for an awesome weekend. Just a quick little pre-roll here before we jump into today's episode of Felony Friday. First of all, I wanted to thank all of our new listeners who have come over from Reason. We've been running some ads on the Reason Roundtable podcast, and uh, well, we've been having and noticing some new listeners. We've seen our numbers tick up. Just last Friday, we had our highest download numbers of any day ever in the history of the podcast. So thank you to all of our new listeners, our old listeners, and uh, our new uh People who just stumbled across this feed are like, what the heck are you talking about? You're welcome to. To all of our listeners of all stripes, did you know that we have a Lions of Liberty patron group, a Patreon group, which you can join by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. And today uh, is actually the last day of our special. We've run it this entire month of January. And if you're a procrastinator like me, and like every successful person out there who needs pressure on themselves in order to take action, then today is the day to take action, my friends, because if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride today at the at the $10 or up level, any level $10 or up, on top of all the other incentives and bonuses and bonus content and merchandise and all other stuff, um, we're going to give you a free, that's right, free, Roaring 20s Lions of Liberty t-shirt. It's a snazzy design. It's awesome. An art deco design. Very cool. So check that out. Um, if you join at $5 too, that's cool. We'll give you 30% off on that Roaring 20s t-shirt if you want to purchase it. So please consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. What is Felony Friday? Felony Friday is a show where every single week we're going to do a deep dive and we're going to examine and expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Now, if this is your first time listening to Felony Friday, your first time listening to any of the shows we have here on Lions of Liberty, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, put your feet up. If you're driving, please don't put your feet up. But if you've been back several times, if this is a regular habit of listening, why haven't you subscribed? Or maybe you have subscribed. Thank you if you subscribed. But if you haven't, please do so. Whatever podcasting app you're listening on, please just scroll up to the top there, punch that subscribe button, and uh, you'll get every single episode of the Lions of Liberty podcast and of Felony Friday delivered to your little listening device. And also, if you really enjoy what you're hearing here, please think about uh, giving us a, a five-star rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcast, especially if you listen there, because it helps with the algorithms and all that crazy stuff. Without further ado, let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Mark Jenkins, also known as Master Mark. And I first heard of Mark on Ben Pange's Homestead and Homeschools podcast. And on that show, they mostly talked about uh, his background in uh landscaping and gardening and also rapping, of course. And we'll, we'll talk about that today. And uh, Ben mentioned he got turned on to uh, 
to Mark's work by his uh, his song Gardening as Gangster. Um, on today's show, we're going to talk more about his experience in the criminal justice system. And he has a song called Dark Corners in My Mind, which I think is one of his newer songs, which sort of talks about his journey uh, through the system and, and dealing with, uh, you know, uh, dealing with, I guess, the uh, the edges of the system as well. So we'll talk about that. Mark, welcome to Felony Friday. Well, thank you very much. And uh, but you could just uh, I could be known as Master Mark. And uh, I would say Mark X with uh, kind of like Malcolm X did with X representing the unknown. But I think uh, after doing a whole lot of research and trying to figure out my roots, I think I, I think I figured out what that X means. But uh, so we'll make it Master Mark for now. Sounds good, Master Mark. So, man, I mean, what I try to do with my guests most of the time is try to work linearly, like through their story, start at the beginning and work from there. So, so we'll do that just to sort of figure out, give my, you know, my, my audience, my fans really background about you, what you're about and uh, where you came from to, uh, to really understand your story. So I think the best place to start is, you know, where'd you grow up? What part of the United States uh, did you grow up in? And what were those early years like for you in your life? Well, I was lucky enough to have grown up in uh, a few different places, uh, mostly from Austin, Texas. I was born in Austin, Texas, uh, in an apartment, as a matter of fact. And uh, and yeah, uh, when I was two years old, or I guess one year old, we went up to New Jersey. And so I lived a lot of my life in New Jersey. Uh, and then after my grandparents moved to Florida, uh, when I was, I guess, 12. Then after that, you know, I'd spend a lot of time in Florida too. So I'm Texas, Florida, New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to, you know, see a lot of the world and get a whole lot of different perspectives. And because uh, I, I, that's one thing I definitely notice when, when I go from one state to another, you know, East Coast, West Coast, and it's like mm-hmm. we'll have a different ways of thinking and different ways of living. So, you know, I've gotten to see it from a lot of a lot of different perspectives, so I feel like that's been real good for me. And that's a that's a big difference going from Texas to New Jersey. <laughs> but uh, I'm up in I'm up in Pennsylvania, but I've been to Jersey quite a few times. Have a lot of friends from Jersey, but uh, it's uh, I know it's very different from Texas. Yeah, my my dad's ashes are up there with you, and my grandparents. They all. My dad used to have a place over right on the New Jersey, Pennsylvania border, there was like a river down there. And uh, that was his favorite place to go fishing. So after he died and he was cremated, they sprinkled his ashes right there and in that river. And then uh, after my grandparents died, they were also put up there. So they're right there flowing in that stream. (laughs) Right on. So you're, uh, you're back in Texas now. Uh, yep. Yep. I'm in round rock, Texas. Uh, just outside of Austin and uh I, yeah Austin's pretty much getting so big and so congested that I pretty much had to escape out here to to Round Rock and now it's blowing up pretty much the same when I first mm-hmm. moved to Round Rock it was still dirt roads and stuff like that so I like that you know it was kind of getting away from all that uh you know the heavy traffic but man these last 10 years it's just really grown a lot so uh you know, we're just having to, I guess that's yeah. why I was a little bit late on the show today because 
epic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess you have in, uh, especially in Austin, you got a lot of people from California moving into town, right? Man, that's like the new thing. <laughs> Everybody's coming in from California. I don't know. They must have some advertisements over there. I mean, maybe they're, so. they're about to fall off into the ocean. And I guess they went to South by Southwest one time and they're like, well, Austin's cool. <laughs> Let's go there. Yeah, I guess they're, they're probably fleeing the taxes too and stuff like that. But uh, uh, it's expensive to live out there. So I, I wanted to ask you about, about your song dark corners of my mind where, you know, you really talk through, um, you know, some of the things you've been through in your life. Um, you know, the yeah, interactions you had. Uh, yeah. That, that's a deep song. Cause every other song that I've done in the past has always been, you know, I'm dropping truth bombs. I'm trying to enlighten people, educate people and empower people. And, uh, but this song, Dark Corners of My Mind, this is the first time where I really just let my soul bleed through and let it, let you see who I am and where I'm coming from. And uh, and a lot of the things, you know, that that I've uh, overcame in my uh, in my life. And mm-hmm. and then when I guess you, uh, you what would you say the name of the show was Felony Fridays? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, man, that sounds like a good opportunity to uh to tell my story about about getting my felony Mm -hmm. because the way that went down man it's some really shady stuff that they do uh the whole entire justice system oh man i've I've seen i've seen it all i mean i spent four years in prison so you know i've heard a lot of stories from other people too but there's there's a lot of things that i've uh, experienced firsthand and uh man you can't even say we have a justice system because yeah. there's so much injustice as what I've seen. Oh, man. It's like it, we'd honestly be better off with nothing and saving all that money that we're blowing on it because that's what it is. It's a big business, and they got to mm-hmm. people in them prisons. They have these deals where they have to keep the prisons 90% full. So these judges are trying to get as many people in there it's like they're moving livestock but they're getting paid a lot of money for it and uh but yeah i i just wanted to kind of talk about the way um the way they're doing people with um these plea bargains and you know just the different tricks that they pull um and i guess i'll uh i'll uh start from the beginning on that because yeah. So uh, what 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 happened? What happened with you? So you said you spent four years in prison. So how did you how did you get tied up? How did you get arrested? Well, it was really crazy the way that went down because uh, I I was actually going to court for one of my good friends because uh, he had a fight with a guy, just a fist fight, and uh, I guess he he beat him up pretty good. And I was there when it happened. And, um, you know, he wanted me to go to court for him to testify just to just to say what happened. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, OK, so I showed up and I was ready to go. And uh, so the prosecuting attorney, when he sees me show up, he calls me into his office and he says, OK, why don't you tell me what happened? And I was like, well, you know, we were just uh, hanging out at some girl's house and 
this dude showed up and you know they they ended up having a verbal altercation and got into a fist fight and uh and then you know they they fought and it was over and uh, he said okay well that's not what happened he said this is what happened you guys lured him over there and planned on robbing him and and um and he beat him up trying to you know like he was trying to take his stuff and i was like well that's not what happened at all and you know he didn't take anything from him and he was like he said look maybe that's not what happened but i need you to go in there and tell the judge that that's what happened what the heck i said man this is my friend right here why am i going to go in there and tell the judge that he said look man you're going to go in there and tell the judge that or I'm going to make your life a living hell. And I told him, man, I'm going to go in there and tell the truth. So what's the worst that could happen? So I went back out there in the hallway and I was just, uh, you know, letting this, his family was out there waiting. And I went over there and, and told him, yeah, they were telling me some crazy stuff. And before I could even tell them what had happened, two cops came over there and slapped some handcuffs on me and told me they were putting me under arrest. I said, under arrest for what? And they said, we don't know, but you'll find out once you're booked in. And I was like, man, I haven't done anything wrong. And they, was like, they were like, well, they, they, they told us to, to bring you in. And so they brought me to jail and I waited. Uh, man, they, they, they hadn't magistrated me for a long time because there was no charges to put against me. But then uh, finally they came back and said that I had some sealed secret indictment and that i was that i was in there for uh aggravated robbery and uh and so i was like you know and then i had to get an attorney related related to the that same thing that happened with the fight exactly they just they put me in that whole mix like as if i was mm. you know, it was me and that you know and completely bogus charges and um, and that's the reason why I want to tell this story is because this is not just me. I, they do this a lot to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But so they said, you know, aggravated robbery. And so I'm like, well, you know, that's crazy. So I, I get an attorney, um, a court appointed attorney. And, you know, I tell them, you know, this is, this is crazy. This dude just did this to me. And uh, I was like, but I'm sitting in jail. They give me a $30,000 bond. And so my attorney is like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get you out as quick as we can. They set you a court date for October. And mind you, I'm 17 years old in jail for the first time. Oh, wow. You know, I'd never been locked up before. And, you know, so. No, they, no prior, any, no prior record at all at that point. Right. Nothing. I was 17 years old and never had a juvenile record. And, you know, still in high school. And, um, so I'm sitting in jail and I'm like, well, you know, I'll go to, I'll go to court in October and go to the judge, tell him what this guy did, tell him what's going on. And, uh, and then, you know, they'll let me go. Mm-hmm. So October comes around and I got a $30,000 bond and I, I make it to court. And then they said, okay, well you're reset. And I was like, okay, reset for when they said, well, they, uh, they put you on for next uh, for November, uh, just a little over a month out, and uh, and I'm like, man, that's messed up. So I got to sit in jail on another month for you know something bogus like this, and uh, so you know I sat it out for another month, 
And then uh, November gets there and then they come back and they said, reset again. Uh, they said it for December. And I'm like, man, I, like I said, I've never been locked up before. Two months feels like a lifetime already mm -hmm. that I'd there. And uh, man, they said another month. So they put it for December. And, and I was like, well, at least I'll be out for Christmas. And, you know, so December 12th, I think it was, I was like, okay, I'll go December 12th. And, uh, show up December 12th. And they're like, okay, well, they're resetting it again. They're resetting it for January. And I'm like, so I'm going to be locked up for Christmas and New Year's over, over this mess, like just something so ridiculous. And that's when, that's when my attorney said, well, I mean, you don't have to be locked up for Christmas. He said, I could get you out right now. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I mean, he said, all you have to do is plead guilty and I can get you out today on probation because it's not that big of a deal. They already said that we could do a plea bargain. And uh, and I was like, but then I'd have to plead guilty. He said, I, I said, um, you know, there is no other way I could fight it from from the mm -hmm. outside. No. But if you plead guilty, then, you know, I, I'm sure I can get you out today. And that's when I was like, I don't I wish I could go back in time, but I, I, I just wanted to get out at the time. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, I've, uh, I got friends that are on probation. It's not a big deal. Mind you, I'm 17 years old and still pretty stupid about the law. As you can see, uh, I had no idea what, what I was getting into, but they were playing games with me like that. And I think mm -hmm. that that's due to a lot of people. And so they ended up, I ended up pleading guilty to something that I didn't even do just because I, they were, you know, had me on the inside and. Yeah. Which is very common. I mean, that happens all the time. And a lot of people will say, well, how, how could someone plead guilty to something that they didn't do? That, that, that would never, that would never happen, but happens yeah, all the time. I mean, it's so common. Yeah. So they got to keep these prisons full and man, they got to do it somehow. So they got a lot of tricks and a lot of games that they play and they get people at a young age, just like that. They put them on probation and, uh, man, them probations are not made to be, to, to succeed. It's not designed for you to succeed. It's mm -hmm. designed for you to, you know, you have to really walk the walk a straight line and any little thing. I, I just seen so many people violate their probations. The ones that do make it, it's like, man, their, their whole life is just completely monitored. And, uh, but you know, um, with my, uh, after, after I got out on probation, um, I, I had done four years good on probation, uh, while I was in jail that first time I, uh, even though I was still in high school, I just went ahead and took the GED test just cause I didn't know when I was going to be getting out and I had the opportunity to take it. And so I passed the GED already. Um, so, um, so I ended up take, I took a year off and then, uh, then ended up going to college at, uh, at Houston Tillotson, uh, in Austin. Uh, well, I guess you're from Pennsylvania. You might not know about it, but it's a school here in Austin. Um, and so, um, I guess, I ended up doing uh, four years good on, on the probation, but then I got pulled over and there happened to be a gun in the vehicle. And so right away they gave me a uh, possession of firearm by a felon, which I shouldn't have been a felon in the first place. And honestly it wasn't my gun, but 
Um, and the way they treated it, it was like, man, I was lucky that they just gave me that. Uh, well, no, so I, were you in, were you in the vehicle by yourself when you were pulled over? No, no, it was two other people with me. And one but, of them had a gun or there was just a gun in the vehicle? It was in the trunk. Yeah. So, and so they just put it on me right away. And the gun would have been legal for, for anybody to possess. But since, uh, since I had a felony on my record now, because I pled guilty to something that I, that I didn't do, uh, you know, now it's possession of firearm by a felon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the, the four years that I had left on probation, they gave me that, uh, they gave me that in TDC. And so, so that my, was, you, you had four years left. How many years had you been on probation up to, up to that time? Uh, I, it was three years that I, cause it was seven years probation. Okay. So I did three years good. And then, and then that's when I violated and they gave me the other four years in TDC. And I remember that, that day, my, my attorney said, you know, look forward to just doing a calendar year and you know, you'll be out by December. And, uh, and that, that I had gotten my back time from when I had been in there the first time. And, uh, but yeah, that year came along and then, uh, man, I, I saw the parole board and they denied me that first year. And, hmm. uh, and then I was like, okay, well maybe they're going to make me do half my time. And so I, I get done with half my time and then they put me on the chain, like as if I'm going home. So I'm, man, I'm writing home all excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out, telling my mom, hey, be ready for me. And uh, man, uh, they put me on the bus. And then once I get there to the unit where people are getting released from, it turned out they, they were putting me on a whole different bus to a trustee camp. And I had to go go over there. And uh, what, what, what is that, a, a trustee camp? It's It's a just a different part of the prison where they put you to work every day. So pretty much I was their free slave, <laughs> but, uh, but I ended up going out there to that trustee camp and everybody's like, Oh, well people go home from there all the time. That's where they send you. If you have less than two years on your sentence. And so, you know, I'm still thinking, well, I could still go home any day. And then, uh, man, that third year comes around and, Man, still nothing. They ended up make, making me do that whole four years, day for day. And, uh, man, in a way, I guess that was a good thing because I didn't have to mess with, you know, parole and all that. But uh, but it's just crazy. All the, I mean, being down there for four years, it's like, um, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of people believe in heaven or hell, but uh, but when you go to a place like that, Man, I, I could say I've seen what hell looks like. I yeah. mean, the, the the dirtiest, darkest parts of it. I I, I seen. Uh, man, in the summer times, it's brutal too. Especially, uh, you know, some of them units are real bad. The ACs and ventilations that don't work. It's like we were we were all stuck in this cell, and you know, people people have to be in their boxers and just. The only way you you can stay cool is if you keep on jumping in the shower, like you know, once every hour, and don't even bring a towel. Just let let it evaporate. And so there there was a shower in your cell. Uh, there was like usually, a, well, depending on where you're at. Sometimes you know it's bigger bigger areas, but the but that particular one, there's two showers that are like right in the front, 
where the guards can see oh shower curtains. <laughs> so I guess they, they want to watch everything over there. But uh <laughs> but yeah, it's uh it's not only bad conditions, but there's a lot of uh a lot of shady stuff going going down with them places all the mm-hmm. all the way up the ladder too to you know the the wardens and their deals that they got going on trying to trying to keep them places full and even these judges that sending these you know kids a lot of kids that don't know nothing about the law i think that's a problem too is that you know they should be teaching this stuff in school they should be teaching kids you know how to deal with cops and um you know how to and teaching them about their their rights i remember you know we learned about the Bill of Rights in school, but we never learned about what the Bill of Rights meant. We might have mm-hmm. learned how to recite it, but it's like they don't teach you, you know. Yeah, you know, the four, uh, you might know what the Fourth Amendment is, but, you know, do you know what that means for you and how you can exercise that right and how you can, uh, you know, refuse to let them search you? And, and they hate it when you do that. And I get them with that every time. And man, I've seen some of them just turn red in the face because uh, they try to be real authoritative. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't know nothing about the law and the cops being coming at you being all authoritative, you you tend to cower. And that's what they want. They want to be the aggressor and they want they want you to you know do whatever they say, no matter what they say. So when you say, no, sir, I, I, I do not consent to you searching my vehicle or no, you can't come in my house. Uh, oh man, they, they get real frustrated, especially if they, they were already, you know, you could already see them salivating, waiting to go, go through the trunk and oh, go yeah. through it. And, and I, I wouldn't even have anything on me, but just, I, I just don't, who knows what they're going to try to put on me, you know, they, so, they could plant something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd rather be safe. No, you can't search my vehicle. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have any reason, you know, there. And typically, you know, I've, I've had situations where, uh, you know, they, they have good, they're like, I'd get pulled over by two cops and they have like a good, good cop, bad cop type, uh, type thing they got going on. Like one of them, one of them is being cool. He's like, yeah, man, I understand. You know, you want to exercise your rights. And I think that's really cool, man. You know, he, he was, he was talking like that with me, but the other one, he's over there telling my wife, uh, telling my wife, Oh, uh, he said, yeah, your husband, he's seen, cause they, they pulled me out of the car and I just went ahead with it. Cause I, my, you know, my wife and my son is in the car mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to make a big scene about it, but he tells my wife, you know, your husband seems real nervous over there. And, and then he comes back over there to me and he's telling me, Oh yeah, your wife. She seems real nervous. So what do y'all what do y'all have to be nervous about? I'm like, man, ain't nobody nervous. Yeah. We're just trying to get on our damn way. That's that's what you they know? that's what they teach them. I mean, that's that's like part of their training is to to use a, that to to manipulate people. Yeah, man, and it's sick. I I can't stand the way they do it, and especially when it comes to their use of guns. I I feel like. Man, if you really want to make this country a better place, you want to talk about gun control, let's disarm the police. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, tasers would work just fine for what they do. Uh, all these times where they're shooting people and it's like the messed up part is that they're trained to shoot to kill. 
because if they kill him, they can't come back and testify against him. You mm -hmm. don't see shooting people in the leg, you know, they're shooting them in the chest, dead center. And man, sometimes even execution style. And, uh, yeah. And it's, it's messed up. So, so that, I mean, obviously that happens all the time. They'll shoot people like that and kill them. And then it goes, if it does, if there are charges and it does go to trial and the cops put on trial, they'll just bring in the person who trained them. Oh, yeah. Well, he was just following procedure, doing what he was taught to do. Bam. Exactly. Just, just let him walk and, out the door. And over here in, in Austin, oh, man, it, it for a while it was really bad in Austin with the cops killing, killing people, killing young people, kids, like people with mental illness problems and stuff like that. And and it's like I started paying attention to it before you would hear about it. And then, you know, but once you start paying attention and becoming aware of those types of things that's going mm -hmm. on, then you, you start to see a pattern with the way that they handle it. Because whenever whenever another kid gets killed, typically black, that is, it seems like they're targeted. Um, black young males are just, man, on the, it's like an endangered species. These cops are, uh, man taking them out and so it's uh the public is completely outraged whenever it first happens and uh you know it's all over the news and they're talking about it people are mad and so it's like right away you know we want justice we want answers we'll show up at city hall you know protesting and this and that but typically what they do it's like their protocol. They'll come in and say, well, we're going to start an investigation and it's going to mm -hmm. be a six week investigation. And then after those six weeks, we'll let you know what we've determined. And I think what they figured out is that six weeks is about the amount of time that it takes for people to simmer down about things. Because right when it happens, it's like, man, everybody, everybody's out. Everybody's furious. Six weeks later, it's like, man, maybe, maybe, you know, the family still remembers and, you know, a few other people, but it's like the all, all that all that rage is just gone. People are it's like they forget about it. Six weeks seems to be that time frame. And then the cops come out, you know, the police chief will come out and say, we've decided we're not going to uh, we're not putting any charges against this officer. He did what, you know, whatever. They'll justify whatever he did. And uh, mm -hmm. somehow, some way, the cops always seem to be in the right and uh, I really, I can't think of any that have been uh, punished for their actions, uh, not in this area. Uh, you know, I know there have been some in the country that uh, that have had to, you know, answer for it, but but not yeah, so much. Yeah, it's very, very rare, for sure. Very rare. Yeah. So w when, did, when did you get into rapping? Was that before or after? Uh, you had your uh, your stint in prison. Well, I guess rap rap's just been my life, man. Since I was a kid, I was just uh, you know always always like listening to it since as far back as I can remember. Um, really like listening to Tupac and you know Wu Tang Clan and Nas and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But you know, I was rapping in high school, and you know, just we what we used to do back in the day is freestyle flowing. We we just you know, start flowing off the top of our head and just, you know, sometimes it don't make sense. And sometimes it's, sometimes we fall off and sometimes, and sometimes we say some real stuff and, uh, you know, the type of stuff that you want to get in the studio and record. 
and you know get a lot of i don't know it, it's like a really good mental exercise and i feel like that's a lost start but the lost mm-hmm. start freestyle flow because uh <clears throat> i mean that's what that's what rap started off as is just you know and and you're telling a story but it's um uh, but yeah in high school i was I was doing a little rap and I guess I was 16 when I recorded my first song. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, I got, after I got locked up, uh, one of the first things I did when I got out was get in the studio with my uncle Mike, cause my uncle Mike had been, uh, you know, making some, some good music, getting some, getting some respect, getting some plays out in the streets and doing shows, you know, around Texas mostly. And, you know, touring with Lil Flip and South Park Mexican and, you know, uh, some of these other guys. Uh, but, uh, man, I, I got in the studio with him and we started uh, we started recording and, and making some really good music, man. We, we I even got to do a song with Bushwick Bill, um, you know, got, got him on one of the tracks. And, uh, man, he back then he had his... Uh, had his studios in this place called Backstage Music, and uh, mm-hmm. he he would like charge people to come record their music, and and a lot of a lot of great rappers would come through there, um, and I guess they they'd sell music out of there also. But uh, and that was a spot back in the day. But I guess that closed down after after a couple of years. It just you know. Uh, I guess it got bought out and they turned it into like a club or something. Right. Right. But so, uh, I mean, I know, uh, a lot of your rap, I mean, you have the song, the garden is gangster song. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the dark corners in my mind, which, uh, really have some, uh, I think some, some libertarian qualities to them. Some, maybe some anarchist qualities. Do, do you put yourself, do, do you, do you label yourself at all? Uh, you know, politically, philosophically, from that angle, I, I never did before, and you notice a big difference in in the music that I make. You know, back then, you know, I'm talking about you know money, clothes, cars, and hoes. <laughs> but now it's uh, it's definitely on a conscious tip, and uh, I definitely call myself you know libertarian, and uh, you know I, I don't know if I identify with the libertarian party of today. Right, right but my heart is libertarian in a Ron Paul sort of way, mm-hmm. you know, and he was running as a Republican, but you know, anybody that knows a real Ron Paul knows that his heart is not Republican. He, he believes in the constitution and he believes in right. uh, j- just the principles that made this country great in the first place. Uh, man, we really, we really missed big by not getting Ron Paul as our president because, uh, and I think he would have been the only one that could have actually really made a difference as far as, you know, people that's uh, that's been running and, and, you know, these recent elections. And I'm not even keeping up with them, with what's going on right now, because I know I know by now that it's really just a clown show. So I'm not even trying to populate mm-hmm. my mind with any of that madness, because I don't feel like it benefits my life in any kind of way. And I feel like my life is better if I just completely ignore that whole aspect because it's all fake. It's all just an illusion. And these people are, you know, going after all this power and, you know, playing these games and, you know, putting on these shows for the media and, uh, you know, especially with the, you know, Donald Trump and impeachment and 
You know, it's all just madness. It's all just a show. I feel like Donald Trump, you know, he knows, I feel like he knows exactly what's going on. And I feel like it was all planned out this way. I feel like the outcome has already been, you know, it, it's all been planned out from the beginning and he knows what's going on. And, um, yeah, I mean, I I agree with that to to an extent. I mean, I think I think he's really good at. I'm not, I'm not going to say that he's planned out all this out, but he's really good at. I mean, he's done it his whole life with from a marketing angle, and he can turn things that look like a terrible situation for him, and somehow turn it around against uh, against other people. So that's exactly what he's done with with this impeachment. He's turned this impeachment into like a promotion tool for for himself. It's really. And I, I, I'm not a Trump fan. I'm just stating what's happening. But yeah, and it's got people talking about him, and that's that. I feel like that just gives him more power. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm like, man, I'd rather just ignore it all and just concentrate on empowering myself and empowering the people around me, and just you know, plus you know, raising these kids is uh, you know, I'm trying to trying to be the best father I can be at the mm-hmm. same time and. You know, it's uh, definitely more fruitful to put, to keep my energy here than to give them any of my energy. So that's why, as far as voting, I I, I doubt I'll even make it to the polls. I don't see any anybody mm-hmm. worthy of a vote, and it's not a system that I want to buy into. I feel like voting is just buying into that system, and you know, I I'd rather. Uh, focus on building something new, uh, you know, than trying to fix this country because it seems like, well, you know, it's already been bought. It's, it's been completely taken over by, you know, corporations and, uh, and it's like most of it's owned by people that don't even live in this country. It's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to argue with it. That's, that's true. But the one nice thing is we have, you know, we have vehicles like this, podcasts like this. You have, you know, your music, w- ways to get a message out. So, and I mean, just just to go back to Ron Paul, I mean, Ron Paul, I started following him when he, the first time he ran back in 2007. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to be totally honest, the only reason that I'm talking to you right now and we have this podcast is, is because of Ron Paul. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had the interest in uh, really the ideas of liberty. And I never would have been exposed to and really. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I probably still would have been exposed to injustice in the criminal justice system, but I would have been—I wouldn't have been looking at it the right way. It might, it might not have been as as apparent. So, um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's—it's it's not a hopeless situation. I think there there is some hope out there. It's definitely going to be an uphill battle. I'm, you know, we're not going to turn this thing around on a dime. But yeah. I think with the you know the communication avenues we have today, I, I think I think it's uh, it's doable. Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like these waterways are so polluted. There was once a time when you could go and drink out of any stream or river and it was clean water and, man, the fish were healthy. And it's like, now you can't drink this water, you'll get sick. And, man, a lot of places you can't even eat the fish because of the toxic poisoning. Like I've seen places, especially in Florida, man, it's it's messed up how they, how they, uh, there was like an Indian tribe when I was in the Everglades. They had their own island and, you know, they would live off of, off of, uh, you know, the, the river, the swamp, mm-hmm. you know, mainly the, you know, the fish, but then they planted these sugar cane fields and just, uh, sprayed them with so much insecticides and, you know, fertilizers and all of that would run off 
into the into the water and contaminated the water started killing the fish they couldn't drink the water anymore and man uh, after a while that once you know abundant island you know they they uh they were forced to leave and integrate with everybody else and man it's uh it's like all the, this country that once belonged to the indians and now that's like they're forced onto these reservations them reservations are even being poisoned i, I uh made it out there to, to navajo nation and man it's it's like they put liquor stores up everywhere and flood the streets with drugs and try to get them addicted and it, mm -hmm. it's it's like they're attacking these reservations it's like you know they've been killing the indians from the beginning since they got here but now they just do it in a different way by trying to give them the tools to defeat themselves and and before you know it you know maybe they won't even have those reservations or they'll just keep shrinking smaller and smaller until they ain't got nothing left and then they're completely integrated yeah i mean not to get conspiratorial but i mean when you look at this as a whole what the government's done with the drug war and you know forcing drugs onto the black market they've made all you know all these drugs less safe you know the dosage is unknown it's not known what they're cut with and mm -hmm. uh that leads to a lot of the addiction problems that you have it leads to the the overdoses so i mean who's to say i'm not going to say that everybody who's an elected official is you know thinking you know i want to keep drugs Ill illegal because it's going to keep people down but I, i'm sure there are certain people who are who are backing that with uh, their influence and their power and their money. Right. Yeah, most definitely. But, uh, Hey, did you ever hear my Ron Paul song? No, I haven't. Uh, okay. That's one you definitely got to check out. What, what's it called? I'll put it on the, uh, the show notes page. Oh, okay. Well, it's the Ron Paul song. <laughs> okay. Maybe I have heard it and just didn't, uh, I probably have heard it and just didn't connect it. <laughs> you might have. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, let me just give you, uh, give you some time here to plug, you know, plug your work, plug your albums, talk about, you know, some of your music, tell people where they can find it and, and all that stuff. All right. Well, I, my first project, uh, is weapons of mass instruction and, you know, that's available on, uh, on all the major platforms. Uh, the other project, the most recent one that I came out with is, uh, is for apocalypse and that's where that dark corners of my mind is and uh, a couple of other ones i got big fed on there talking about the federal reserve um and then there's uh there's uh who's the master um which is like got got like a last dragon vibe i don't know if you ever if you're familiar with the last dragon and bruce leroy and all that but uh I got that. And then I got another one called uh, Homegrown, talking about every man deserves his own cannabis cannabis tree. Mm -hmm. So that's like a that's like a legalized kind of song. But that one definitely different because I got like a little bit of a country twang to it. I got some, you know, uh, okay. guitar in there and uh, definitely different from anything I've ever recorded before. But, you know, I go check that out. A lot of people like that. <laughs> More than a lot of my rap songs, but uh, hey, that's, I, I probably will like that. I mean, there, there's been a couple artists that are starting to mix together country, country and rap a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, I went straight country with that one, though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah, but that gardening is gangster. I put a little bit of country and rap together. I thought that that one uh, 
man, that one made made rounds, you know, went, went around the world. They were jamming that in Africa and Spain and Italy. Like there's people that that's like their anthem out there. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, that gardening is gangster. That's on the weapons of mass instruction. And I also got that watching you watching me. Uh, that's the one I got, uh, man, uh, that was, I, I recorded a video at the millions March, Texas. That was, uh, that was after, uh, David Joseph had been killed by, by a cop. He was, uh, unarmed. Uh, I think he was 16 years old. Uh, Jeez. and yeah, he was, um, he was gunned down by a cop in Austin and, you know, we were we were over there in front of the MLK statue, and uh, and we had a, a big march down to the to the Capitol, and so uh, I got to shoot my music video while we were down there, and uh, I got Cedric Benson in there. He passed away recently, but uh, man, it was cool cool to get him in there, and uh, and some other you know great leaders from uh, from our city, and. Uh, you know, so that ended up being a real good video and a lot of cop watching in there also. And that's what that's on, watching you watching me. It's about police accountability and uh, mm-hmm. filming the cops. I, I filmed the cops with the Peaceful Streets Project. Um, man, we we used to go out a whole lot more, but not not so much lately. But uh, but I need to get back out there. But we would really, you know, get out there on not only just on Sixth Street. I don't know if you know about Sixth Street, but you know it's all the clubs, and we. It, it seems like Sixth Street is the spot where you see the most action. You know, cops are just throwing people around, doing whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's been some times where we've caught them doing some really messed up stuff. Uh, one time when they were on horses, and you know, they tried to trample a guy, and then when what? He turns around, and then before you know it, you know, they're tackling him and beating him up on the ground. And uh, so we were there to record that. And did uh, they? Uh, did you ever have cops come up to you when you're recording and try to forcefully stop you from recording? Oh, well, they do it all the time. Yeah. In fact, that uh, that's why um, Antonio Beeler got arrested one night when we were uh, when we were out there cop watching, and he was pretty much he just had he was exercising his rights to film the cops, which is perfectly mm-hmm. legal, but they yeah. didn't like how close he was getting or, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make up some kind of reason. And, uh, and so, yeah, they handled him r- real rough and I was able to get that on video. And then they contacted me from the news asking me if, uh, if they could use the video on the news that next day. And, uh, and I told them no, because they, they asked that we not share the videos, uh, you know, they asked us to take them down just because, you know, until after the court date. Uh, so the, the news asked you to take them down or who asked no, you to take them down? Uh, no, the, the, the attorneys uh, asked me to take them down for uh, uh, Antonio's attorney. Oh, okay. Yeah. Asked to take them down. So I was like, okay. And then the news was asking for it and I told them no, but they, they got it anyway. They got a hold of it anyway and, and broadcast <laughs> it on the news. And, uh, but, uh, I mean, he ended up beating the case. You know, I, I don't know if the, the video helped with that, but I, I guess that's, that's the main point of it is, you know, sometimes the cops, the cops lie. And if you mm-hmm. have them on video, then, you know, you can't, I mean, you can't fake that. So, you know, I guess that's, that's the ultimate goal. 
of going out there and filming the cops, but also showing the public what's going on. I mean, they're supposed to be protecting and serving us, but we could show you instances where they're abusing their power and doing things that if the public knew that they were doing it, then they'd be, you know, asking them to be terminated and, you know, they demand change. So that's, that's what I'm hoping is to inspire people to demand change because this is very necessary. It's becoming a police state. It's, uh, I don't know if you heard about, um, they decided to uh, decriminalize marijuana in Austin and stop arresting people. And um, mm-hmm. so, man, doing I, that. It seems like most major cities are, are doing that at least at a minimum level. Yeah. Well, they, this is just news over here. Like, because I didn't think it was ever going to happen. Not in Texas. And, and I don't even know. I don't know. If oh, that just happened. That just, yeah. That just happened in the past week. Didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just in the last okay. week. But then, um, Chief uh, Brian Manley comes out and says that uh, that it's still a state law and we're still going to enforce it. And so he's not even going to abide by it because they'll be losing too much money. I imagine you know that's probably a big part of their revenue is messing with people over over you know a joint or something. You know they probably they get them tied up in the system. They gotta you know go to court, pay court costs, you know get attorneys and. Man, it just keeps that system rolling along. So I think that isn't Austin supposed to be like the most liberal city in uh, in Texas? It's not. It 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 once was. It, it in the eighties, it was really cool, man. I, I really liked Austin back then. Um, it's getting way too big, and it's becoming just corporate, man. It's a corporate takeover, pretty much. It's the the beast from Revelations mm. is just invading on my city and taking it over. And, uh, and man, Austin's not Austin anymore. Um, the, the few places that have been preserved are, you know, even getting polluted and it's, uh, it's just not what it was back then. Austin used to be really cool back in the day. Uh, you know, that's, that's a shame. I, I mean, I've heard good things about Austin and, uh, I'm excited. We're going down the uh, the Libertarian Convention is in Austin, and my whole group, our whole uh, Lions of Liberty group, is going down to to cover the convention and interview people, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. hopefully, there's still <laughs> still some cool things going on in Austin. Well, I mean, I, it's it's still got you know. I guess it depends on where you go to, but it seems like even when like South by Southwest, for instance. Yeah, it's cool to go to South by Southwest, but you got to be prepared that you're going to be in traffic for a long time. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to deal with parking and you're going to have to deal with oceans of people. I mean, yeah, it's a good time, but it's a it's a big commitment. You can't just move around freely anymore. Uh, I guess it's becoming a good idea to ride around on a bike. Maybe it'd be a lot more enjoyable like that. Mm hmm. Well, that's cool. Um, I will keep that in mind. But uh, Mark wanted to thank you for for coming on the show and uh, sharing your story. You're you're really influencing. I think it's cool. You're influencing culture in a couple different ways. You're doing it with your music, but you're also doing it with direct activism going out there with uh, with the cop watching, which I, I think is really cool, and uh, yeah, having a direct impact in some cases cases help people you know get off charges and, th- and things like that so thanks for coming on the show and uh we'll talk soon 
Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to today's show, another great episode of Felony Friday. As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out. And uh, if you like it all, please think about, consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Lines of Liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty, everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook, clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.